Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. And uh, as always, when Peter and I, Bo, are your host, you never know what you're going to get. But we welcome you to A Reason for Hope, Cinco de Mayo, 2022. We're here to answer some questions on the Bible. A Reason for Hope is a weekday uh, journey through the Bible, really based and moved by your questions. And so you can get in touch with us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also always join us in our comment corners, either on Facebook, on our YouTube channel, or on our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. That's kind of the main hubs that we have where we collect all of your questions and you can participate in the show. Also in our studio is our great friend Adrian Van Vactor kicking on the couch over there. He's just making sure, a little accountability right now, just making sure me and Peter are going to do okay and not get too squirrely here on the program but uh super blessed to always have him around helping us out with some of the engineering of of the show um a lot going on um do we have a a computer peter that's going to be able to tap into all these different this is it right here that's it this is the one right (laughs) that's the only one we got (laughs) hey that's okay (laughs) that's okay i just wanted to make sure that we were going to be able to get into the (laughs) comment corners and get people's questions so but uh, we do have a lot going on in the world of course, we have Russia that's invaded the Ukraine. Uh, we remember Russia is the big country. <laughs> Ukraine <laughs> is a, a little country. It's a little country. <laughs> that's right. So we know that. But and also, I know that's that's a little weird. But anyway, but I mean, in all seriousness, that continues to go on. Yeah. And you know, you don't hear much about it anymore. Right. It it seems like it's in the background, just kind of simmering. And of course, what is the biblical uh, um, um, significance to something like that that's taking place. You know, we hear a lot about Russia in uh, people's talks on prophecy. Um, there is, uh, if you've wondered where that kind of comes from, I know in, in my uh, just studying the Bible and and reading books on these subjects, um, there was a book that was put out by a pastor who's now uh, gone on to his reward and his name was Chuck Missler and he wrote a book called the Gog and Magog invasion. Right. Um, and, and that was a really, I think big book that kind of brought about this idea of Russia's involvement in, uh, the prophetic, uh, uh, landscape. Right. And, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't the only one, believe me, there's many older writers that, that spoke of this. Right. But, um, but definitely Chuck Missler, I think, in this culture, in our culture, our era, if you will, yeah. definitely, uh, you know, kind of put this idea that Russia plays a really important part in the polit- political landscape. Because most of, I got to m- admit that most of the countries, when you read about biblical prophecy, they they tend to be pretty Middle Eastern countries. Right. You right. know, you have South. That's probably why a lot of people didn't really talk about it that much. They yeah. were trying to figure out how the heck is Russia going to hook up with all these Middle Eastern countries in a, you know, confederacy against Israel. It seems, seemed very odd to people. Yeah. And sometimes when we think of like, uh, like, like there's always a, like in the Bible, when it talks about like the Roman empire, mm-hmm. you know, we tend to think of just Italy, right? You know, we tend to just kind of look at, uh, like maybe a capital right. of the Roman world right. and we, our brains tend to go there and we forget that there was a whole Eastern part and that Turkey is a dominant part of the Roman empire. Right. And, and I think that happens with Russia too. When you think of Russia, you tend to think of like, you know, those really Northern people. Yeah. And you, you forget there's a whole Southern, right. Uh, uh, tribes. Very different culture, by the way, too. I was able to to go up into those stands. You know, I, when I went to Afghanistan, I uh, 
flew through Kyrgyzstan, mm-hmm. which was very interesting. And they're more Asian, actually, when you hang out with those people. They actually look, sound, behave more like what you would expect from, like, Mongolia or some of the like these more Western Asian countries. Hmm. Then when I went into Afghanistan, I was really uh, surprised speaking with a lot of the soldiers there uh, who were Afghan soldiers from the northern part that they had – they spoke Uzbekistan, they spoke Turkmenistan, they spoke these northern languages because they were touching these other countries and got to know those cultures. So uh, a little bit more Middle Eastern of a vibe than these white, like you said, Bo, white northern Russians that you would think of. But all of that was owned, conquered by the Soviet Union. And uh, Vladimir Putin is trying to reestablish the Soviet Union. Maybe not in all of its political ideals, but definitely in its territories. He mm-hmm. wants to dominate them. So interesting, very interesting to have a guy like Putin on the world stage, to see him making the moves that he's making, to see him making these different confederacies with these Middle Eastern nations like Iran, you know, uh, like Iran. And we actually gave control of Syria over to Russia over the uh, past couple of years. So just a very, very interesting time for biblical prophecy and things like that. Yeah, so if you do have a question on biblical prophecy, you certainly can give us a call here at A Reason for Hope or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Even though I'm not sure, you know, I just thought about it, but I don't even know. I don't have the laptop here, so for questionsforhope at gmail.com, so I wouldn't even know how to get into those questions. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. We'll get back to him. Yeah. You know, keep sending him in, and we will get back to him next week for sure. So if, if we if we aren't able to get into that thing, we'll probably ask Sean how to do that tomorrow. But if we're not able to get into him this weekend, it's not that we've forgotten you. We will get to your questions next week for sure. So keep sending them in. But the easiest way always to get in touch with us and ask your questions would be live on the comment corner and any of those avenues that Bo mentioned. Yeah, so biblical prophecy is always a big thing, and that's in the news. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of things going on in the news with the Politico uh, leak. Uh, they uh, Anyway, the, they uh, announced the leak yeah. that came out from the Supreme Court uh, about Roe versus Wade and the decisions that the judges are potentially making there. Yeah. And uh, and that's interesting, too. What would be cool, you know, like I actually heard an interesting argument from a lady this morning uh, that was one of the most cohesive pro-choice arguments that I've heard in a very long time. I think it'd be interesting to, to talk about it. Before we do that, let's uh, let's pray a little and then we'll start talking about this very interesting topic that touches all of our lives for sure. So uh, let's pray a little. Uh, Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives and in this world. We know that no matter how chaotic things might seem, you are in control, and we thank you and we praise you for that. I pray that as we focus in right now, we'd be focusing in on you, focusing on your word, your glory, and your truth. And I pray that all those listening would be blessed and encouraged by it. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And in your name, amen. Amen. So normally the argumentations from the pro-choice movement are traditionally about the fact that what is inside the woman's womb is not actually a human being. And therefore we have the right to kill it, to to terminate it, in in other words. Um, Those are very easily debunked. It's easy without uh, indicating anything from Scripture or the Bible that human life does begin at conception. Every embryologist worth their salt today teaches that, believes that, shows it scientifically. This woman, this this lady, very, very intelligent, very bright, she was making a philosophical, ethical argument that even though the unborn child is human, the mother has the right to kill the child because the child does not yet have personal autonomy, and it is unethical for anyone to steal your bodily autonomy from you without your consent. So in other words... Because the child is imposing upon the mother a bodily need, right? They're taking nutrients from them. They're causing the mother's body to change and to go through some unfortunate developments. Because of that, if the mother doesn't consent to it and the child does not have autonomy, in order to maintain her personal autonomy, it is okay for the mother to terminate the pregnancy. Now, she she did say that she disagrees with abortion after viability. So once the child can live without the mother's body, then 
she no longer agrees with abortion. But up until that point, which is around 21 weeks, she was saying it makes total ethical sense in order to preserve the liberty of the mother to allow for the murder of the child. What do you think about that argument? Um, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, it, it's, you know, sometimes I just got to stick to the Bible, Peter, <laughs> and, and, and just say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, yeah. the Bible makes it really clear that, uh, that a child in the womb is life. And, uh, and it is, is, it is something made, it's, it's a human made in the image of God. Right. And therefore on that alone, then, um, that life matters. Right. Um, and, um, and then things would apply, you know, the idea of murdering, uh, thou shalt not murder, Mm. um, uh, comes into play. Uh, I'm trying to follow her logic. And, and, and I thought you'd really like, let me put it in a different way. Cause I think you'll like it when I put it, I mean, obviously it's ghoulish. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very, it's very evil to say that you can actually murder another human being in order to preserve the autonomy of yourself. But the reason why I thought you would kind of like it is because it very much is your generational credo, right? That it's all about me, my individuality, my truth, my autonomy. That's what it's all about. Now, me, me and you were actually just talking about this on our other podcast, yeah. uh, Running Light. But biblically, there is a perspective that you are not your own. Mm-hmm. So in other words, in our culture, we believe that, no, I have total autonomy over my body. No one can tell me what to do with my body. It is my body. It is my choice. I'm able to function in total unilateral decision-making. Nobody can tell me what to do. The Bible but actually, so, but that's so not true in our right, society. Right, you can't even right? say that. But let's say someone was logically consistent. I don't think this particular lady was, but let's say someone was actually logically consistent with it and and really believed what she was saying. Would that constitute a valid argument from a biblical worldview? Um, wait, say that again. So, if someone was actually logically consistent and they mm-hmm. say. It really is my body. It really is my choice. Nobody mm-hmm. can inflict an imposition upon me and what I can and can't do with my body if it if it takes away my freedoms. Um, does that work? Does that hold up in a biblical worldview? No. <laughs> and, and no, and it doesn't. And, and you know, and it's like we have, you know, I just, let's go to 1 Corinthians, you know, chapter 7, and I'll read this section. Um, cause you know, a, a biblical worldview just thinks a lot different than, um, a secular worldview. Right. And a philosophy that works in the world, um, is not necessarily the right one. Um, but if your worldview is that there's no God and right. that there's then, 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 Hey, we're just arguing over right. what I'm not right. even sure anymore. Right. You know, um, and that's what I feel like a lot of these these different arguments are about. Well, they are arbitrary. Yeah. And and the reason why I I gosh, I, I shudder to use this language, but why I like these arguments is because they are thinking about things apart from a biblical worldview, just like mm-hmm. Nietzsche talked about. Yeah. A very famous atheistic philosopher, Nietzsche, uh, he argued God is dead, and therefore we need to actually throw off the Christian worldview that's been imposed on us by our culture and live free. That's what he argued for in his book called Beyond Good and Evil. Mm -hmm. So there's no sense in talking about straight-up ethics because it really is just kind of whatever's best for you. Now, um, what one of the implications of the Christian worldview upon our culture is the belief that human life has inherent worth and value and ought to be protected. That is not something that secular cultures have ever believed. Um, When you go throughout human history, you don't see really any non-Christian cultures arguing that human life has inherent dignity. That's why you see widespread amounts of slavery occurring throughout the ancient world. Um, Execution was very commonplace in the ancient world. And yes, parents abandoning and sacrificing their children, very common in the ancient world. You didn't have to come up with like an ethical argument. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let me read just from the Bible a little bit. And um, 
But it says flee sexual immorality. All other sins man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Mm. So it's interesting when we, I mean, bodily autonomy, right. you know, I want to do what I want with my body. Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, that seems to be the argument. Right. Right. Is like, hey, you know, I want to do what I want sexually with my body. And sexuality is one of the most, um, uh, let's face it, it's one of the most sensitive subjects in our lives. Mm. And it's the one thing that we don't want people to critique right. about our life. Right. And so we, you know, we, it's, we very much guard it yeah. and we very much will fight you know, it, it, you know, if someone comes against your sexuality, man, those are kind of that can be a real vulnerable situation. Right. You know, where either you're going to shell up or you're going to fight, you yeah. know. And uh, so here it's talking about someone who sins against his own body. Um, and this is talking to Christians, meaning to the Christian worldview. We're looking that we can sin against ourselves, hmm. you know, our own bodies. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Interesting that there is a that that there is a connection that we have with God through the work of the Holy Spirit that resides in us in our bodies in our bodies right. and so our bodies is not any more uh, autonomous right right and this is where I think the where this gets all convoluted yeah. is like we use these words like autonomous yeah. very um, people use it very um, sporadically right. Um, but are, are we really autonomous? Right. You know, um, and to the Christian worldview is like, no, I'm not autonomous. Right. It's like my, my, what does it say? It says my body is literally the temple of the Holy spirit who is in you. Right. Right. So, and it says whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Hmm. Okay. So I have been in a sense uh, taken over. How did that passage hit you when you first came to Christ? Um, did you like it? Were you, you like know, right on? I think, I think, I, I think I was blessed by it in this sense is that I knew that already that my own secular worldview of, I want it my way kind of thing, um, didn't function very well. Um, it wasn't, it, it didn't have good longevity. Right. You know, I knew I was already being very narcissistic. I knew, uh, and I knew there had to be a limit to this, this kind of, I want to do what I want to do with my body. Right. Um, because when you take that kind of philosophy, you know, I, I can do what I want to do with my own body. Right. Um, and this lady who you're talking about, who's making her argument, um, for abortion, um, you know, she has some stipulations, you right. know, so she's saying, hey, I can do what I want for, with my own body in these circumstances. Right. You know, but really to be consistent, uh, can you just do what you want to do in your own body or not? Right. Can you do what you want to do with your own body? You know, and a, a lot of us want to do that. Right. And thing is, is in and if you take a good, honest look at it, you'll see that there's a lot of selfishness there. Right. And uh, um. And the results of selfish living um, can really be uh, are is very damaging. Right. Um, so in other words, to believe that you are totally your own is also to negate the effects that your lifestyle is having on those around you. Yeah. So if a father says, hey, you know what? I want to do what I want to do with my body. And I think it's in my daughter's best interest because she's young. But I think, you know, there's not really many males out there that are very safe for her. But I think I can be a safe male for her. Right. And so I think, you know, and I want to teach her about sex. Right. And I want to teach her what this is like. And I want to be her first partner. Right. Which sounds crazy, but that was practiced in the ancient world. That's right. And it's even practiced today in some, some areas. Yeah. So, I mean, incestuous life. It, we would be shocked how many people are, have been affected by incest right. in the world. And so it's, it, you know, but if someone says that like, Hey, you know, I, it's my body 
and you know what I mean? And I think it's really a benefit. You know, the only stipulation you're putting on, whether it's right or wrong, is whether you think it's going to benefit the, the person or not. Right. You know? And and that can be very arbitrary. Right. And that can be very subjective. Yeah. And so to me, you know, you go down some slippery slopes, but the Bible says something different, right? That yeah. our body is you're not your own. Yeah, you're not your own. That's and that's the next line. You are not your own. So interesting. So uh, a body that, um, you know, so making the argument that, hey, I'm just I'm an autonomous person. And in my autonomy, um, if someone tries to prevent me from doing something as an autonomous person. Right. So if someone's trying to prov- if someone's saying you can't do that um, uh, and that's coming against my autonomy. Um, that would seem, I mean, to me, that would be really weird. Like, don't we live in a world where people are always saying, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Right. Right. Even though your, your, your bodily appetites might want to go in a certain direction. Hmm. Uh, there's always other authority figures or people in your life that are saying, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You always have a responsibility. Yeah. You always have a responsibility. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if that argument to me, um, you know, even in a secular worldview, I don't right. know if it really holds too much. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, you, you have to make, you have to draw arbitrary lines to get what you want. And at the end of the day, what we're really saying is we're saying might makes right. That child does not have the autonomy to stop me. So therefore it doesn't have the right to stop me. That's the idea there. Yeah. Um, which is very, again, very synonymous with human history you go through human history that's how we've reasoned through things predominantly but it's very different from the christian worldview this idea of this is true religion taking care of widows and orphans that just because i have the right to take advantage of somebody Hmm. the bible says the opposite if i have the power to take advantage of somebody and to use them i actually have a moral obligation to help that person and to encourage them love your neighbor as yourself so in the Christian worldview, the idea is I am not my own. I belong first to God, but second, I don't even belong to me after that. I belong to my family, my community, those around me that love me and depend upon me. And the way I act affects them. And to live in any other way only has one logical conclusion, that you're alone. You know, So Albert Camus wrote his famous book, The Myth of Sisyphus, back in the day. And he taught about this autonomy. And in the myth of Sisyphus, you have this guy who's sentenced to hell by the gods. And he has to roll a rock up a hill every day. And it just rolls back on him no matter what he does. And Camus' perspective is, well, we don't really believe in a personal God because we believe in absolute freedom. And if we believed in a personal God, we'd believe in obligations. Meaning that he could tell us what to do and we'd have to listen to him. Mm -hmm. But because we believe in absolute freedom, we don't believe in that. And he later on said, we must imagine that Sisyphus is smiling as he pushes the rock up. In other words, he's saying personal autonomy and freedom are so important to me. I would rather be alone in a meaningless existence than to have responsibility to other people and to not be totally free and to have to act and behave in ways that benefit others but yeah. to not do whatever I want. Yeah, and 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 in the Bible too, we can talk about the body of Christ, right? And how even within the body of Christ, we're to think of one another, and so we're in a sense we're not our own, even within no. the church. Yeah, no, we're right? not. We're part of the community, right? And so that whole uh, there, so there's a lot there, you know. But it definitely goes against that narcissistic bodily autonomy philosophy, right? You know, it took me a while to kind of get what you were saying yeah. you know but my brain you know it Tends starts to happen. it goes in fir- it starts <laughs> in first gear it goes into second and yeah. then it kind of gets stuck second to third yeah. you know and then i t- kind of bog down a little bit <laughs> anyway and sometimes i don't articulate things great <laughs> no, <laughs> i try you, to you bring do, it in there you yeah. do a great job man <laughs> and so sa eagleton says and by the way you're listening to a reason for hope totally thank you guys for joining us today peter and bo are your host and we are enjoying it. S.A. Eagleton says it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Now, that is a quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, would you say this is this quote is biblical? 
Yeah, so uh, I I do agree that it is biblical. And let me give you my reasoning for that from the Bible. So Jesus actually began his earthly ministry with what we would call the Beatitudes or the blessings. And uh, I tend to uh, try to help people understand this because the word blessing is just not used in our modern day vernacular. You know, we don't use it very often. Blessing in the Old English actually had three potential meanings. It could either mean to be intrinsically happy and pleased and fulfilled in a, in a very complete way. So it's, it's more than being happy. It's not less than being happy. I mean, you can't say it's completely without emotion, but it is more than being happy. It's being fulfilled. It's being completed. It's being joyous in something greater than yourself. Uh, the second word for blessed means to be basically doted upon by some higher power. Right. So if I say I'm blessed by God, what I mean is God is favoring me and, and benefiting me in some particular way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third is to praise. Right. So Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That word bless there is the word for praise. That's what that means. Jesus, when he begins his earthly ministry, and I believe Tozer, when he's using this word, he's talking about the first definition that for a man to be blessed, he doesn't mean for a man to be favored by God. He means for a man to achieve this kind of inner joy and fulfillment and peace and happiness, there has to be a brokenness brought about by God. Now, where does he get that from? Well, it's from the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right there, the first two speak very clearly about what he's talking about. So as long as I'm a human individual that believes that I'm all that and that I don't have any needs of God or a savior and I'm totally just standing on my own two feet, if I'm not broken by God to recognize my impoverished and beggarly state before him, what Jesus says is I can't be blessed. I can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then also he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's a capacity in a human being where if I'm going to love something, if I'm going to be an encouraged to love anything in this world, I risk loss. And when you risk loss, you risk mourning. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, if you never care about anything more than yourself, you are free from mourning, but you're also free from comfort, unity with other people and connection with other individuals. So Jesus, there's a lot of philosophical depth to this, but yeah, in order to be genuinely blessed by God, I do believe that you have to be broken by him for sure. Mm. Do, you have, do you have any thoughts on that as well? Um, yeah, I just kind of was thinking the same thing as just in the born again experience. You know, there's there's always in a sense that uh, that loss, that suffering loss that takes place, uh, our present, our momentary Infl- uh, afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the glory which uh we shall that shall be revealed you know in us and and uh Romans chapter 8 you know but there's always that suffering first that takes place and and uh you know the crucifying of the flesh the picking up of of our cross the denying of our flesh the um uh you know uh, valuing Christ above uh even uh, our most cherished family members you know, valuing the Lord, uh, in a sense, there is that, that trial there, um, and and that hurt that takes place, but, but the hurt is, is definitely wrapped around, um, you know, a a necessary pain, a necessary suffering that needs to take place, right? right? Uh, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can produce nothing. Mm. Um, John chapter 12, um, talks about that. Jesus said that, right. you know, and he, he talks about the necessary hurt, the yeah. necessary, necessary pain, right. um, you know, that he is going to go through on the cross, but there is a necessary, uh, you know, uh, suffering and a necessary hurt that does take place, you know, the losing of our lives. And, um, and, and, and then, you know, of course, then it follows with that blessing. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and also the necessary humbling, right. you know, and that's what Pascal talked about a lot right. is that there's the necessary humbling that needs to take place in us. And that's what the gospel does. Mm. It takes the proud and the pompous right. and it literally annihilates us right. because the gospel says there's no one righteous. No, not one. Each have gone their own way. 
Right. right? But yet it, 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 Pascal follows it by saying, but yet the gospel also um, uh, raises us up, right. you know, to uh, incredible heights of exaltation, giving us the promise of eternal life. Right. And so there is the gospel is doing that work in us. Yeah. That's what the, that's the beautiful regulatory work yeah. of the gospel, which no law can achieve right. um, on the planet. So no government law or any law can regulate human beings mm. like the gospel because right. the gospel can humble us perfectly and it also can exalt us perfectly. Yeah. And so I would say that Tozer is um, probably on the right track there. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, for me to, to even say that is quite humbling, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Just to, to make a statement like that, I'm like, ah. About Tozer. Yeah. About Tozer. Like, <laughs> I'm validating scratch, Tozer. Scratch yeah. that, you know, <laughs> scratch that, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's A.W. Tozer. I mean, he's written some pretty remarkable books, and I think uh, uh, everybody would be very— um, edified to read them there's some good stuff there um so we do have a bunch of questions they're flowing in now you guys know we're, we're kind of now in in fourth gear so you, i could tell the audience is like okay they're getting it going man let's yeah. let's pump them out okay so uh we're still on the youtube right now and um so we're gonna we're gonna do that and answer another question so this question is um yari uh, Carl, Carlon. And by the way, we got our wonderful host, Sean Richards, who's just answering these questions. We we can just stop the show right here because, uh, I mean, <laughs> Sean's got the questions answered he's already. Doing he's it, doing he's it. on top he's of it. He's on top of it. Yeah. So, but the question was, um, what does Isaiah 55, 6 mean? Seek the Lord so that he may be found. Hmm. Uh, I always think of a song, seek the Lord that he may be found in his sanctuary. His righteousness will abound. Maybe some that, that I think one of the worship songs kind of go like that. But um, yeah, we're Peter's turn in there right now. Yeah. Right. So this is actually one of my favorite sections of scripture. Me and Bo quote this one all the time. Uh, and there's a very good reason for it. But let me just read the verse and then I'll give you the background for where the verse comes from. Uh, so this is Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Um, so very interesting section of Scripture. If you go to the beginning of it, this is why it's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Yeah. Isaiah five says, uh, 55, verse 1 says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. For why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know and nations who do not know shall run. You shall run to because of the Lord, your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then it goes on from there. So in other words, Isaiah is warning the people of Israel about judgment. And I love this section because he could have just said verse five. He could have begun with verse five and just be like, hey, a boom is coming. You need to repent. Seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, go back to God while it's still not too late. You know, God will relent of this judgment if you come back to him now. But he doesn't begin there. He begins this, this amazing section of scripture. Again, one of my favorites where he says, why should we return to God? What is in it for us if we return to God? And it, I'll read it again. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. For why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. I think... A lot of times calls to repentance, you know, I, I think 
I don't think people use these terms anymore, but uh, I remember they used to say the come to Jesus moment, you know, <laughs> like when you're, when you want to get someone's attention, you know, you want to, you want to really get them to stop doing whatever they're doing, like an intervention kind of a thing. But uh, essentially when we think of repentance, when we think of turning away from our sin, most people contextualize it in their minds as like God is this cruel, evil dictator in the sky who's just bent out of shape about whatever you're doing. And he's just like, just stop. Just quit what you're doing. Otherwise, I'm going to jack you up. But instead, we have this amazing uh, just call from the Lord saying like, hey, why are you why are you going away from me and hurting yourself? Yeah, there's like a, a, a dialogue. Right. And that's the interesting thing about the revelation of God's word mm. is that. Some people go, well, why did God write the book? Why is it in a book? Yeah. You know, why isn't it a book? And one of the answers is, one of the reasons is what you're talking about is that dialogue. Right. Right. And that is from Isaiah. Come, let us reason together is in the beginning of Isaiah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's interesting. We have a revelation of God's, uh, you know, uh, uh, intervention if you will with human beings right and and that is a testimony um uh of this in, of of a character quality mm. uh, about the deity right right it, it, it's like you know how would we know the character quality of god if it wasn't in a dialogue kind of way right if, or another way if you could it have written it written, was just like a list of do's and don'ts. Yeah, right. It could be a list or it could be um, like other religious texts um, that you can read. And it's just kind of like a, a rant. Right. You know, it's just kind of like boom, 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 boom. And you're just like, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Out of serious. Man. Yeah, it's like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, and, it, and it's, it's it like, would you think a parent is good? If a parent just ranted and just gave you commandments, right. like if a parent came out and just said, this is your list to do today, right. bye, <laughs> you know, and that was it, Yeah, you know, you would probably look at that parent and go, man, that's a pretty uh, like, <laughs> terrible parent. That's, yeah. yeah. It's not much dialogue with that parent, you right. know? Um, but you know, that's, what's the neat thing about the Bible is we have this dialogue, if you will, between God and human beings. Yeah. Now, it's not the only place where it says seek, right? Jeremiah, Hosea, right. Amos is these ideas. Uh, so we're working within a context of Israel, yeah. a period of time in Israel's history, Yari, where Israel is on the brink of captivity. Right. And so they are going to be taken captive. And the call of the prophet and prophet, if you remember Yari, was a position in Israel. There was a king, there was a priest, and there was a prophet. And the prophet was to be the speaker um, of God's will. Right. And there was many false prophets. And many false prophets in Israel were kind of, or not kind of, they were like saying, hey, God's cool with us. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Israel's, or Isaiah's message and Jeremiah's message and Ezekiel's message is certainly like, hey, God's not too happy with, with right. us at all. Right. And so this this idea of seek right. um is 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 really an amazing um opportunity right. for the nation. And, and imagine that for a second. Imagine if, you know, you're let's say you're talking to your boss or something and he finds out you're stealing from your from your place of work. And, you know, usually he would just come to you and be like, hey, if you steal one more time, you're out of here. You know, you're gone. But imagine if he came to you and he says, why would you steal that stuff when you know that if you just asked me, I would have given you even more stuff. You know, I would have given you even better stuff. You know, you're over there stealing pencils and staplers. I would have given you money. I would have given you cash. Like, just come and ask me. Don't steal anything. Right. That's the kind of dialogue that that God is giving his people, which is amazing. He's like, why are you sinning against me and going outside of my commands, seeking pleasures in these idols and these various wicked behaviors, knowing that I'm the supreme pleasure of the universe, that there is no source of joy. There is no source of satisfaction beyond me. Come back to me. And not only will you not be punished for what you're doing, but you will find exactly what your soul has been looking for 
in these broken and unsatisfying, unfulfilling behaviors. And this kind of call is one that is actually effective. You know, for years of my life struggling with pornography and various other issues that I still struggle with, um, all the calls of just like, hey, just stop. Don't do this stuff anymore. God is going to judge in your life. I believed those things and I feared a just and holy God in my life. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't casually just being like, whatever, God doesn't see. I wasn't like that. I was like, no, like I believe that God is there. I believe he's real and I'm afraid of his judgment. But none of that fear actually caused me to stop. The only thing that caused me to stop is when I started going towards God and saying the pleasures of the Lord are far more satisfying than what I've been looking for in the world, right? That's what actually had an effect of change, which is what the word repentance means, by the way. Yeah, and Yari, I just point out this last thing too in, in Isaiah 55, and that is verse 8. Um, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Mm-hmm. And this is really interesting on the backside of what has already been said, right? Yeah. So Yari, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Wow, man. Help us get our minds off the wicked things and help yeah. us get focused more back on God again and God's, of course, laws and his ways. Mm. And then it says, Let him turn to the Lord, like you talked about repentance, and uh, he will have mercy on him. Uh, to our God, he will freely pardon and then it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. God's thoughts, his ways of pardoning yeah. are even so much different than human beings ways of pardoning, pardoning someone. Yeah. You know, we tend to hold grudges. We tend to really dig it deep, you know, and, and really dig the dagger in people. You know, when they mess up, we're like, ah, you know, and we <laughs> put it on social media. We put it on TikTok. We put it on everything now. Yeah. You know, look at that. That person failed. That person failed, you know. And God says, man, I am going to, you know, I will pardon you. Yeah. And, and man, that's amazing. God's forgiveness is greater than any human uh, forgiveness mm-hmm. on the planet. So that's amazing, too. So we have, um, I let, um, um, uh, light dragon. Um, at least it's not dark dragon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's light dragon. It says, um, what does it mean that God has determined everything in his foreknowledge? Thank you. Yeah, no, very good question. So, uh, when we talk about God's foreknowledge, what we mean is that God perfectly knows everything that will happen in the future. So, uh, if, if we think about foreknowledge, we could we could categorize it in two different ways. We could either say that it's passive or it's active. So a passive foreknowledge is like a prophet, someone who sees the future, but they can't actually interact with the future. They're not causing the future. They're just seeing it take place. Uh, active foreknowledge means the reason why I am predicting it is because I am causing it. So an example of this would be, you know, if I'm playing pool with you and I say, hey, eight ball corner pocket and I hit the eight ball in, that's not a prophetic message. That is a call of the will. I'm saying I am predetermining this based on my skill and my ability. That's what's happening. When God uses his foreknowledge, he's not passively looking into the future. He's not peering into the future and saying, oh, this is what's going to happen. God is actively guiding the future. Now, it doesn't mean that God is stealing our our free will. He's not preventing us from acting and behaving in ways that we want. But what it means is that he is structuring the world in such a way where your free will actions bring about his foreknowledge, bring about his purposes. So uh, interesting proverb that... Uh, deals with this section. That's why I like going to it because it really balances these two things. Proverbs 16 verse one, the preparations of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So that sounds very paradoxical because in one hand it's saying the preparations of your heart, what you intend to do, that's you. That's all on you. However, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord, meaning that God is determining what you say. So you're preparing things, you're planning it, you're choosing, but God has already predetermined what you're going to do with that preparation, what you're actually going to say. 
um, or this one. This is same chapter, but we're going to be in verse four. The Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. So that's saying that God has created everything for who? Himself, mm. right? It's for him. It's for his glory. It's not for me. It's not for anyone else around here. It is for God. He has purposed everything for his glory and for his his predetermination. And then the last verse of this chapter, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Casting a lot was kind of like rolling a dice, mm-hmm. right? So he's saying even something as innocuous as rolling a dice, God already knows he is predetermined what number that comes up on. So if you're just at your house and you're playing Monopoly, God has like predetermined who's going to win already. He already knows how these things are going to take place. So we see this. It's seemingly paradoxical and it's tough for us to wrap our minds around as human beings. But that's what we believe, that God is sovereign. He predetermines things utilizing his foreknowledge. But we as human beings are still free to act and behave, utilizing our own autonomy that God has provided us with. Yeah, it's such a good um, question and it's such a mind-boggling question. Oh, yeah. You know, um, I just tend to really simplify in my brain um, a little bit, and that is, you know, God determines everything in his foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I see throughout the scriptures. Right. Um, our salvation, there's many places that speaks of that. I think of a passage in Second Timothy chapter one before the foundations of the world. You know, we were chosen in him. Um, I think of Romans chapter eight. I think of uh, even when you read the book of Revelation, you get towards the end and there's this uh, eye opening statement of everything's <laughs> determined by God. All right. Um, you 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 go throughout the scriptures and there's these interesting passages as uh, of that they could not turn because their heart God hardened their heart right and uh, and you know the main thing that I look at in that is that God is in control and I I see that there's of course highfalutin theological terms that describe all that and get into the details uh, uh, of that but in a in a very simple way uh, in a real practical way I have to look at what the message of the Bible is saying and that God is in control. Right. And and there should be a practical um, effect that that has that teaching has in my life. Right. So if God has determined any, everything according to his foreknowledge, how does that affect my life? Right. Well, it affects my life, not not in a way where I, I um, every decision that I make, I go, oh, God determined that. And yeah. then, I, then I do something else in a day and I go, oh, hey, God determined that. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not like in that way, but it's an overall understanding of I'm comforted knowing that God is in control. Right. We use that word providence. Providence. Yeah. And sometimes you'll hear sovereignty. God right. is sovereign in his, the way he providentially works in the lives of people. Right. You know, and in this world. And, uh, you know, I would like to think that God uh, is uh, has determined my the end of my days. And there's some passages that talk about that, that God knows are going forth and he knows when we're born and he knows uh, the numbers of hairs on our head. And he knows uh, our 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 dying as well. Yeah. And. Um, and so, hey, I, I, you know, nothing gets by God. That's the idea. So if you have a, a, a diagnosis that comes in, you know, that's not something God is unaware of. Right. You know, there is a determined work of God going on in his foreknowledge that is always it, it, it is always God works all things in a sense to glorify himself. Yeah. And whether it's the Pharaoh who hardens his heart or it's the one who puts their faith in God. Right. And so, you know, I I just look at it as, hey, that's a comforting idea to me. It's like, um, you know, um, I always thought it was pretty comforting to think that, you know, your dad or your mom's kind of in control. Yeah. You know, Um, uh, whenever you have a family that you have a mom or a dad that's out of control, that can be pretty scary. Yeah. You know, so I hope that helps. So um, anyway, uh, let's go back to, um, 
S.A. Eagleton said, thank you. Always enjoy seeing you two on the show right on. That's awesome. Well, me and Peter enjoy being on together, yeah. and uh, it's been fun. So um, Facebook, not many questions on Facebook today. So, you know, I think YouTube is winning the battle right now. <laughs> I mean, The metaverse is dead, man. <laughs> that's right. Between Facebook, YouTube, and the website, I got to tell the, the YouTube audience that they're jamming. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are you guys are rocking it. I don't know what's going on with the Facebook audience, but you better get going. <laughs> but uh I heard you know, I hear there's a lot of financial issues going on with the old meta, the old Facebook, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you heard that, but there's like you know, they went from like seventy eight trillion billion to seventy seven. I don't know. Oh man. Okay, so Light Dragon says when children go to heaven as children will are as children when children go to heaven as children okay when a child passes away right will they have a choice still as adults in heaven yeah no very good question and one that we honestly don't have a lot of information about in the scriptures one of the most key passages that pastors go to is the passage where david loses his son so david has uh, an affair with bathsheba and second Samuel? It is in Second Samuel. I think it's chapter 14, if I'm not mistaken. But he has an affair with Bathsheba. And as part of his penalty, God says that the child conceived in that act is going to perish. And this is an infant child, not, not very old. I think at this point, they're only about two or three years old. They end up getting sick. They end up dying. And David is fasting and he's praying and he's hoping that God will heal his child. But when the child ends up dying anyway, David makes a very incredible claim of faith. He says, for my child cannot come back to me, but I will go to him. So he has this absolute confidence that he will see his child in heaven. Now, does that mean that David being a prophet, right? We do know that David received special prophecies from God. This is Psalm 22. David prophesies about the Messiah being executed, things like that. Is David acting in a role as a prophet where he knows that his child will be in heaven? Or is he making a blanket statement that all children who die will go directly to heaven? And this is something that, again, we just don't know. Uh, part The arguments for and against go something like this. So, some people who would argue, yes, all children go directly to heaven. Their argument uh, goes essentially like this. Because God can't judge potential sin, he can only judge actual sin. Therefore, since the child has never committed a volitional sin, God will not send them to hell, but allow them to go to heaven. That is one possibility, and that their argument is pretty sound. The other side will say, well, no. Going to heaven is, and this is what you're alluding to in your question, Light Dragon, when you say, will they get a choice? The whole point of heaven and the whole point of God allowing us to live out human lives on this earth is so that we can choose God or not God. That's the whole point, so that we can make a free will decision whether or not we want to spend eternity with God or without him by choosing whether or not to believe in his Messiah and follow his laws. That is, again, a very valid argument. And because of that, they would argue and say, well, no, that means that when you die, you will be given some sort of a choice. How will that choice look? We're not really sure, but you're going to be given some sort of an opportunity to put your faith in God, to put your faith in Jesus Christ and go to be with him or to go apart from him. I don't really know where I fall on the issue, to be honest. Yeah, and, and, and I, would, I would use a little caution to try to answer this question, uh, Light Dragon, simply for the fact that there are many different um, groups out there, uh, religious groups, that have answered this question. So they will have a more complex answer to this question than we might. Hmm. Um, but that's because we are just using the Bible. And that's that's our source that we're going from. You know, if you were to talk to someone from, again, a different religious uh, um, uh, worldview um, and they have their sources, uh, their theolo they might have a whole theology that's that's 
about this, mm-hmm. about what happens to children. They're in a transitionary period. They might be in a uh, kind of a stasis in the afterlife until they go through a series of gyrations of, in a sense, post-living on the earth works, mm-hmm. like a, a, a post-life life right that uh that you you do various works and 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 i'm speaking of one in particular that i'm thinking of but my point is is that you know we look at the bible and we just go hey there's just not a lot of answers there um with that particular question all we really know is we know the character of god we know that he's good we know that he is just and he does all things well and so for me, it doesn't keep me up at night. You know, I do have a vested interest in this and in that my wife and I had a miscarriage. So we do have a child who died and is going to go one way or the other. We don't know, am I going to see that child? Will they be in heaven with me? Will they not? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and I just have to fall back on, is God good? Yeah. And that's it. You look at the character of Jesus. And of course, Jesus, you know, his compassion with children. Jesus never addressed uh, children in some kind of negative way. Like condemning way. Like in a condemning way. Like uh, somehow their original sin uh, meant that they weren't loved by God. Right. And I think that's important to know in answering any kind of question with this biblically. Like if Jesus was on the scene and Jesus knew that children did have original sin, meaning he knew that they had, they were born of Adam, right. meaning they come from the line of Adam. Then he, he could have just easily said, Hey, these people, these kids need this in order to be saved. Right. You know, but he didn't. Right. You know, instead he embraced him and loved him and got mad at people when they when they try to prevent kids from coming to God. Right. So there's something innate uh, to kids that it, there is a purity of right. some sort with kids to where Jesus didn't feel like he needed to give some doctrinal lecture. So anyway, on how they come to heaven. Right. You know, so I think that's important. But hey, thanks so much for joining us on A Reason for Hope today. It's Cinco de Mayo. We hope you guys have a wonderful evening enjoying maybe some friends and family and just getting together and hanging out. You can always uh, leave the more questions on the comment corner at questionsforhope at gmail.com. You guys take care. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.